0: Welcome to another episode of Own Your Choices, Own Your Life, and today we are speaking with speaker and transformational coach Rachel Weinstock. Rachel is a tra- is a transformational coach for preteens and teenagers who are struggling with being bullied, low self esteem, chronic stress, and anxiety. She is the creator of Enough Is Enough, getting to the heart of bullying prevention, and Virtual Club for Preteens, an online program that helps young people to lower their anxiety through heightening their mindfulness and expressing themselves creatively. This is an incredible podcast as Rachel shares her story with us of many many years of being a being bullied, being bullied by others and really looking at how that has shaped her and the mission that she is here to create for others, to impact, to create this legacy, to help people realize that we really can make a difference with our stories by sharing our stories and by really stepping into the lessons that we've learned. So the more we speak up, show up and allow ourselves to be seen and heard and valued, we can then make a difference in the lives of others. So I absolutely love this episode and I love everything that Rachel is standing for. So I cannot wait for you to hear it welcome to the show today rachel i'm so thrilled to have you here thanks i'm really excited to be here let's get started with a little bit of information about you so people can get to know who you are where are you from so i'm from toronto canada um
1: specifically the junction
0: (laughs) (laughs) all good. It's all good. We were just talking about books before we even hit record. So I want to know, do you have a book that has been impactful for you?
1: So many, I mean, untamed, I read untamed this year and I loved it so much. Um, and I was just talking about hello fears, which is another amazing one by Michelle Poehler. Um, currently I'm reading the body is not an Apology by Sonia Renee Taylor. I hope I got that all right. And that is a phenomenal book. Um, Yeah. So there's, there's so many, there's so Hmm. many.
0: That's a new one. I love hearing new ones. I mean, I love to ask the question for the listeners, but I love to ask it because I like to hear new books too. So there's, you've already given me a couple, which is awesome. Do you have a favorite quote or a mantra or something that grounds you? The quote that I live by literally, and I've lived by this for many, many
1: years, even before I knew it was a quote was be the person you needed when you were younger. Mm -hmm.
0: Yep. Yep. That pretty much. And isn't that ironic that that we're going to get into your story. That's really a lot of your story. That's awesome. What lights you up? Like what drives you to keep doing what you're doing?
1: Um, I'm extremely passionate about what I'm doing, but the thing that drives me the most is um, like protecting every child that I can and empowering every child that I can to not go through the same thing that I went through.
0: Okay, so that is a perfect lead in segue tell us what you went through. We're going to get into the work that you're doing now and what your passions are, but I think it's really important that we understand like what sparked this. Where did this start for you? And take us back to what it was like when you're going through these experiences as a child.
1: Well, it wasn't very nice. <laughs> I'm it sure it wasn't. Like, yeah, it was kind of hellish. Um so it started in grade 1 and uh I I you know I was in, you know, grade one and this girl, unfortunately, was going through a divorce with her parents, didn't get the right emotional support that she needed, probably anything actually to help process what was going on. And so she chose me as a target and, um, you know, basically said that I couldn't have any friends So I was left, like she told the whole, all three grades, no one can play with me. So I got very, very depressed. Like as a child, like children definitely can be depressed. Adults Mm -hmm. don't think that sometimes. And I'm like, "Mm, no, there is sadness in little humans too.
0: Absolutely.
1: Yeah. So eventually I said that I actually wanted to kill myself and that's when my mom stepped in. Um, You know, I have a viral video about that story out, um, but essentially You know, that kind of started a long journey of uh, vulnerability and kind of like, you know, kind of being more of a target for for people, like not intentionally, but Mm -hmm. I just feel strong in myself. Um, And uh, yeah, it led to years and years and years of abuse. And when I say abuse, I really do mean abuse because I think bullying just makes it sound like someone stole your eraser. And it really doesn't sound as serious as it is,
0: but it is very, very serious. And I think that I love that you've, you've said it and given it that definition, because I think it's all in the eyes of the beholder and you're right. Sometimes people are looked at it. Well, you know what? You got to toughen up You got to get a little bit stronger and it's not okay. So I love that you have given it that definition of what do you call? So maybe you can quantify it even better. What do you call bullying?
1: So. I'm going to go to a story now. I, I, I jumped kind of all over the place, but, um, so I had a very, very interesting conversation with somebody that was actually part of this abuse for me. Um, and now we have healed that. And we actually had a restorative justice conversation a couple of days ago and he, um, He had told me, like immediately he said, I want to talk to you about the the abuse that happened to me. And I said, oh, I'm so happy that you're using the word abuse. And he's like, yeah, it's peer abuse. And he went on to tell me horrific stories about the couple years before um, he had done what he had done to me, what had happened to him. And one of the things had been that uh, it was very physical for him and verbal. So he had been tied up multiple times and beaten like till he was bloody and then went back to school. And then one of uh, the principals had said to him at one school, well, you must have done something to deserve five people to beat you. Yeah. So what I said to him in that moment was. You know, imagine if because, you know, some of the similar things happened to me, like in terms of how people responded to this abuse. So he called it peer abuse. And I said, you know, if as a teacher, if my student came to me and said, my parents tied me up and took turns beating me right away, we'd have to call children's aid. Right. The, the, we'd have to call the police like it would be. Absolutely. Absolutely. But because it's little humans, for some reason, people think, you know, they're thinking from kind of like, even just like agency of how tall you are, right? It's like, it's not as serious, mm-hmm. um, but those scars, like he was talking about, and I agree in, in terms of my own life is like, there's a part of you that gets like, kind of like interrupted or delayed because you're so traumatized. Oh, So yeah, it was, uh, it was really interesting to hear um. And talk about that and for him to understand the same thing that I understand that it is it is abuse and bullying just makes it seem not as serious it just makes it seem kind of childish
0: well that's thank you for so much for that um explanation because I do think that that is a case now also many times I, I don't know maybe this is the case I I grew up with sister my sister and I and mm-hmm. I can say firsthand, I had more friends growing up that were males than were females because a lot of the females were just downright nasty. There was a lot of like a lot of, so it's like the boys you were basically trying to, you know, stand up for yourself and not take that. And it was like beating begets that type of bullying and girls. It was like, just, it was just nasty. So I saw both sides of it that just, I didn't really understand. So you went through this for, I'm assuming a number of years.
1: It was until the end of high school. So oh. I had, yeah. So I had like quote unquote, a couple of years off. Thank God I have a good sense of humor. <laughs> so I had a couple of years off, but when I say off, that meant like I was still deeply insecure and felt like I didn't belong and I wasn't included. Um, and I wasn't good enough. I wasn't worthy literally of being just like a human being. Um, but I also, um, you know, it kind of like, like when you're wounded that way, you kind of like in a way, not meaning like not on purpose, but you kind of attract it. Like, it's just like you're a wounded animal kind of like bleeding out and people are like drawn to that. Um, So I never had people helping me to heal. I definitely always had incredibly, I come from an incredibly loving uh family. So, but they mm-hmm. just didn't what to do with it. Um, and so, you know, and then the teachers either didn't care or didn't know what to do with it. So I was left alone in it. And, um, yeah, so I, uh, it got really bad in grade seven and I just couldn't take it. I was at a private school and my parents went to the principal and the principal's response. Um, she had an awful energy. Like I've always been very sensitive mm-hmm. to of like reading people and her energy was like an ogre you know she should not she didn't like children um she was you know yeah so I do if, know
0: actually yes I do know I've had a few with my raising my own kids there were some teachers I'm like wow you're in the wrong job and some who were phenomenal so yes
1: yeah if we could like see kind of like like the if energy was kind of like a color, right. Mm -hmm. Um, The kind of energy that they're interacting with children, like we can, we can feel it and kids are extremely sensitive so they can feel it. So everybody knew she wasn't very kind, but her response. to my parents was uh, well, boys will be boys Mm because it was a big boys that were doing this. So I left the school. I didn't graduate with my, with the school that I'd been at for eight years. Like I'd been there since kindergarten. Um, and so I left, and I had some, like, image of public school being green grasses. I read a lot of Seventeen magazines, so green grasses, like, hyper color, and me, like, jumping across the lawn being the most popular person. Um, that is not what happened. Okay. <laughs> so... Um, I did have friends, but, uh, unfortunately there was, um, you know, one boy there that, uh, he would target me and he would target this other boy. And so for me, he would say, you're ugly. And I couldn't stand up for myself. I just would go into freeze because I'd already gone through this abuse and trauma from years before. And, but, but I was also, I'm also a big fighter and I'm all about justice. So he would do this to this other person and say, you're fat. And I would, um, I would stand up for, for this other guy, because I was friends with him. And eventually, I don't know what happened. But the guy that, um, you know, he would call fat, he moved, um, and we were friends, he moved at the end of my street. And so it was like, kind of like, he was kind of here. And I was like, he was at the corner of where they intersected. And there were a bunch of boys in my area. And he decided that I would be the target of his abuse. And this abuse campaign lasted for six years. He did not let up. Um, he involved um, all the boys in the area. So they were kind of like allies to him. And he would follow me home at, you know, at the end of the day in the shortcut, like really narrow shortcut pathway Um, and I was asking my friend, like, how did you guys do that? You were always there. And he's like, it was planned. Like we, we planned it like, cause I would always like try and go out and not be there. It didn't matter what
0: you did. They were there. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah, They were there. And so I just, so yeah, so they did that to me for a year. And then when we went to high school, it moved on to the bus and the whole back of the bus with this group of boys would do this every day, calling me ugly, telling me I looked like a boy, um, which like now I think is like, I love androgyny. I think it's so beautiful. But at the time, that was the biggest insult in the world. Mm-hmm. Like I felt like I was worthless as a human being. So yeah, that that went on until I graduated high school. It was the whole time. He never stopped. But his backstory was like the main person that did this and I saw it, um, was he had a mother that was very, very ill. She was like very ill. I I heard that she just passed away a couple of years ago, but she barely could walk. Like she was with a walker and she was just very, very Mm -hmm. full. Right. So I knew, I understood that, you know, he was putting his pain on me. I just didn't know how to protect myself. So that Mm -hmm. led to a ton of trauma for, you know, I'm I'm still to this day, you know, working on my healing with that. Um, But yeah. So so I definitely got schooled in in understanding bullying.
0: Well you got schooled in understanding bullying but you seem to have um a very good sense of empathy and understanding where the other person is coming from which some people who have gone through a lot of bullying don't necessarily can, can't necessarily look at it that way. So I listen, as I hear you, it's interesting. Tell me if I'm right or wrong, but I can hear you in a sense that you do have that empathy to understand that this person has gone through a tremendous amount of pain. And this is how they are off letting that anger frustration, not that it's right, but being able to see that from that perspective is very interesting. Mm -hmm. And yes, I do. And then of course, there's another
1: part of me that is just like horrified that this happened I'm angry mm-hmm. and angry. Of course. Of the healing too. But as, a, as an educator, I definitely, that's one of my superpowers in working with kids because I will get kids to admit and take accountability because I come at it from such a compassionate, um, curious way. Like I will want to know, you know, what's happened? Why, why are you doing this? And kind of mirror back to them. And because I'm Um, on like, I have such a beautiful connection with the kids that I work with. They Mm -hmm. will kind of be able to tap into a, a true space of their heart and be like, okay, this is happening in my life. Whereas they wouldn't normally be able to get there without that. So that's, that's a really, really important part of it.
0: Well, you've, I think you're leaving that door open for them and they realize they can, you know, you're seeing them, you, they trust you. They are, which is beautiful because you know, I don't know who said it, but the quote is like, hurt people, hurt people. Yes. And you're like, you're literally breaking a cycle there. It's not a case of you're right, you're wrong. You're right. You're wrong. It's like recognizing there's an awful lot of hurt going on. And until we deal with that, we just keep projecting that back out at everyone.
1: Yeah. Well, the interesting thing, like I'm, I'm not saying names, so I know it gets confusing, no, no. but the friend that, um, I know, I feel like you can follow along. I'm like, I'm sorry,
0: listener, if you can't. (laughs) They can all relate, trust me.
1: So the first person that I was talking about that was part of this abuse, but we had a restorative justice part, um, he was talking about, you know, being beaten, but he said that he he learned after that the people that were beating him were beaten at home. So Mm -hmm. they were just, you know, like that was coming out and then all this pain from this other person. Cause he was part of, you know, it just, it's just like, so he said to me, you know, Rachel, we needed somebody to like show like give us skills on how to process this pain and this trauma. And I just broke down and started crying. I was like, I was that person, but you were doing it to me. I wasn't ready,
0: you know? So, <laughs> well, well yeah. but, that's the thing is that we can like we do need skills. We do need skills with how to do that, how to process it, how to handle it. But if we're not open to receiving the skills, it doesn't matter. It's it's it sadly does like we're if we're not open to creating change in that area, then it's we have to be ready to. So I love how do. <laughs> I know we don't make anybody do anything. That is like the whole premise of everything I do and talk about. We can't make anybody do anything. How do we create that opening for others to see that they can create change in their life as well?
1: Yeah. So I think one of the things is, which is really, really important with like anybody, a parent, anybody working with kids or interacting with kids is to, not separate yourself. Like, of course there's things that are like kid friendly and like you, you have to kind of like speak in a certain way. So you don't say everything, but I really think that adults kind of think, oh, I can't, I can't like tell my child that I'm grieving this divorce that is impacting them and I need to protect them. But I think what that really is, is the adult not wanting to have the reflection of the pain through a child's eyes and sit in that grief. I think that's what it is. But what happens is then the child feels excluded from what's really happening and not included. So then they carry the burden of not being able to process in real time. And so then they end up like carrying this for a really long time. So the more that we can kind of like bring children into the fold and be like, hey, like this is what's happening in my heart. Like, how are you feeling? Like we're we're in it together. That's the thing is like, we're in it together. And I really do mean that. Like there are times where, you know, I've misunderstood a child. Like I always try and come in it from a really compassionate place, but there's times where I've lost my patience or I've, you know, 25 kids are talking to me at once and I'm like, I cannot listen to everybody, you know? And so, yes. yeah. Uh, so I have lost my patience or misunderstood something. And, you know, a child will correct me and be like, Oh, like I didn't, you know, do that. Miss, they call me Miss Rainbow fairy. So they're like, Miss Rainbow fairy. I didn't, I didn't do that. And I was like, you know what? I'm really sorry. Cause I lost my patience there. And I will, I will like include myself in this. Like I am not mm-hmm. above, I want to role model to them. Cause I loved what your guest was saying. Um, the mom that said they're always watching and they are, It it people say like so many words, but the words, if the words and the actions don't line up, it does not matter. So mm-hmm. like, you know, and that's one of my biggest, um, my biggest <laughs> like uh, bones to pick, or I don't even know what the word is with like all the um, things that happen um, in education, where we have posters that say anti-bullying, where I have posters that say safe spaces or posters that say queer friendly, like, you know, whatever. But where is that? If you ask a child and I have asked children this, where are those spaces? They actually don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, Yep. Yeah. They actually don't know. And um, I, my thing is they should never have to look in the school for a safe teacher to speak to, or somebody that would listen to them or that they can trust and feel comfortable. There shouldn't be the looking, it should be at least in my, like, you know, lowest, you know, kind of idea is 50% of that school should be a safe person to
0: speak to. Mm -hmm. But that's not the way it is at most schools. I'm sure it's not. There's so many things that you said there that I think are really, really powerful. Um, When we exclude kids or others from Mm -hmm. our, from talking about what we're experiencing, from talking about the trauma, Mm -hmm. I feel like then what we're doing is because we're excluding them, they make up the story mm-hmm. or they fill in the go- the gaps yeah. they fill in the holes they fill in the gaps and it's not accurate they're just doing it from their viewpoint because i think sometimes we think we're protecting them but we're actually not giving them a good realistic <laughs> version of what and you know what they i know there's probably ways to say things and do things but We can't block them from experiencing challenges, difficulties, what life is like, because we're not setting them up to be a healthy, emotionally, mentally, physically more stable human. Does that make sense? A million percent. Like we actually need
1: to be really real with them. One of the things that, so I run this preteen club and one of the things that, um, you know, a parent messaged me today on, and this child is lovely. This mom is so like, you know, they're so kind of alternative in their approach, but she was saying that her child is kind of like starting to have these like emotional fits, right? And there's like all these things of, Mm -hmm. you know, puberty and hormones and things like that. But I also think there's kind of like, um, cause I also do coaching like individually with like kids and their families. And there's something where, um, you know, I, I, I can feel things. It's harder for me to kind of put words on it, but I think there's something where um, adults need to help regulate children. Right. So there's a point where there's expressing your feelings. And there is a point where you are losing the plot. And I think that adults don't have that kind of like fine balance intuition of where those lines are. Mm -hmm. So, when I'm all about expressing your feelings, but when you are like spinning out into rages and that becomes where your brain and your body go when you don't get your way and that becomes a pattern, there's an issue. So Mm -hmm. like for me, I'm all about kind of like, like I, I kind of see it like, you know, there's like the koi fish. I imagine that I'm like kind of swim. I, I lived in Japan for a while. So I imagine that I'm swimming kind of parallel to the kids. But when they get out of control, I mean, control meaning, yeah. okay, and just, just to be clear, control is like, you know, they absolutely have a full-on tantrum. And it's not like they're two years old about when they don't get their way. And that is where they go to every time they don't get their way. That kind of thing needs to be realigned and, and kind of pattern interrupted and, and reprogrammed because then you have an issue of somebody not being able to navigate life with like skills. Mm -hmm. So I really, I, I, I'm still kind of working on that. I know how to do it intuitively, but I think it's something that adults uh, don't always um, catch because they want, I think it's like, Oh, you want somebody to express and get your anger out. But um, now they're like rageful. (laughs) Like they're like Mm -hmm. not like they're going beyond expressing. They're kind of addicted to their anger and addicted to their sad. And then kids get stuck in that. Right. So
0: yeah, you have no idea what you're hitting. I think you're, I think you're, <laughs> trust me. I trust me. I 100% <laughs> see it, know it and have lived it in a sense yeah. of trying to work with kids that had That's like,
1: great. I feel like there's some kind of construction happening on the condo above just in case people are like, I hope
0: her stomach's okay. My stomach's fine. There's <laughs> <fun> <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. I love that. Um, The other thing you said that I think is really important is about you talking about um, when our words and actions don't line up. So that to me is like the whole breeding ground and definition of being inauthentic. And and then we end up being stressed and frustrated because it's like I don't under... I have clients will say, I just don't understand why I'm so frustrated with this. I'm like, well, I do, because you keep saying that this is what you want to do, but your behaviors are completely not in sync with what your words are. And then it leaves this constant doubt about what it is that you can do or can create or how you're meant to show up. So, I mean, you put that into the context of young kids and preteens, and it just must be so confusing. So, you have had like with all of your history and experience yourself with bullying, it has really been the fuel to do what you're doing now.
1: Yeah, a million percent.
0: A million percent. So, tell everyone what you're doing now and what your goal and focus is.
1: Yeah. So, I became a teacher. I promised myself that I was going to grow up and be the person to protect as many kids as I could. So, I grew up, I became an elementary school teacher. Um, I taught overseas for a while and then I've been teaching locally for the last 10 years um, as a supply teacher. Um, And my title that I really like to call myself is a protector of magic in children because I really feel like children are super magical and that we need to protect that magic in them. Um, And then, you know, I always had a incredible skill set for conflict resolution and bullying prevention. And I would just go into these classes and Sometimes things that had been going on for years between students, I could resolve in like one day and I would go back because I'd go back to the same schools and they'd be like, Oh my God, Ms. Rainbow Fair. I can't believe like we're actually friends now or this stopped or thank you so much. So I had this passion for doing this work. Like that was social emotional learning was always at the core of what I was doing. Um, it was always at the foundation. I wasn't as interested or passionate about the academics. The academics were always a way to get there. And so um yeah, so I ended up uh, having realizing that I wanted to be a speaker and I wanted to be a motivational speaker for kids. So I became, I went through a program, I hired a business coach, and I had a speaking career that took off right before the pandemic. Oh, so I of course. Was, <laughs> and it had been my dream. As a child, I always dreamed, because I'm very artistic as well. I have a background in art and performance and everything. So I always dreamed of being on a stage and I always thought I'd be a singer. But I'm not that great at singing. So when I realized I wasn't that great, I was like, well, I guess I'm not going to do that dream and I'll do all the other dreams, becoming an artist, becoming a teacher. But when I spoke at my first conference, I was like, ah, that's exactly what I want to do. So I became a speaker uh, for bullying prevention was like sharing my story, having kids line up and like cry in my arms and just share all the things that they've been going through and having admin ask me for the first time, like really how to implement these strategies and teachers and just, it was just incredible. And then the pandemic happened and um, I literally said to myself, I will not spend like any time grieving this. I'm just going to work on pivoting. So I, because everything stopped, my supply teaching stopped and my, my speaking, so I, me and my business coach, Dave S Anderson, who is like a dream for my life. Um, where's he, he you know, from? He's from Oakville.
0: Yeah. I am sure I've crossed paths with him. I'm sure I have.
1: Yeah. He's incredible. So he, yeah. um, he was a business partner, of Blake fly, who is a friend of mine. And I just never met him until I went to California in the program that I was part of as View speaker university. And he was kind of like Blake's, kind of pokaroo business partner because he's a family man. So he just kind of do the work and then go home and be with his family. So I met him and we had this wonderful vibe. And I said to him, you know, Dave, I, I, would you coach me on how to be a speaker? Like, and, and he said, yes, He's like, I've never done it before, but 25 hours ago, 24, sorry, not 25, 24 hours ago, I said to my wife, I really want to coach people, but I don't know what or who. And I was like, funny enough, I'd love for you to coach me. And so we just developed, you know, a program that was, you know, called Enough is Enough, uh, getting to the heart of bullying prevention. And I went into schools, I told my story, there wasn't a dry eye in the audience and teachers included. And uh, it started making a massive impact. So we got back to the drawing board once COVID hit. And he said to me, like, seriously, what do you think? Do you think you can help and, and make a difference? And I was like, wow. If ever there was a time that social, emotional learning and mental health for kids is highlighted, like I always knew, I knew, but not everybody else was on board. So if there ever was a time that people were really waking up to the importance of this, it's now. So Mm. I ran a pilot program. We ran another one. It went really, really well. And then uh, one of the parents said, we want something for preteens because preteens are really struggling. So that's when Preteen Club was born. And we started doing Preteen Club in the summer then we finished and the kids i don't know i think we had like about maybe 10 people at the time in that program and the kids were like oh my god that was the best thing ever like you have to do a fall club so i did a fall club and um from the fall club the kids told me and it expanded and grew it's international now um you have to do this but you have to do this for another uh 20 years and i was like well i will be 61 and you will not be a preteen. And they were like, well, we could call it this the adult club. And I was like, um, I don't think we're gonna call it that.
0: But no, I, they know, God bless them, right? But no, you're not okay. gonna do that.
1: I, I was like, no, we're not gonna use that name, but um, but we but I definitely can be because I could see that being kind of like a mentor and kind of like you know, this fairy godmother person in their life, you know, was really important to them. And the things that happened within that group, like we had kids that had come in that had been bullied, that had never had a friend before one girl that was in grade eight, that had never had a friend and she had been bullied the whole time. The school's involved, teachers were involved. And she was just like depressed and sad. And just like, you know, I'm, you know, as anybody would be right. Mm-hmm, of and course, What have kids come in too like that? And preteen, I always tell my kids when they come in, we, I interview everybody before they come in you will have an international group of friends and that, and I mean it, it's not just like lip service. Like you will have friends that are extremely emotionally intelligent, that want to empower you. That's a safe space. Um, and it's been incredible. I also, one of the things we do is, um, there's a couple of things I tell kids when they come in the program. One is that the most important is that they have to know that we're going to do a cheesy dance party when they come in. So we're like dancing around. like, who's going to be the first one to do the move. And like one person's bopping their head and we all have to do it. Um, but also that we go by, we talk about pronouns because I really want it to be a safe space for all people. And at first I was like, "Eh, are parents going to be weird about pronouns? Cause if they're, you know, I don't know what kind of background the parents have and if they're homophobic or they're, but I just decided I'm going to override that because I know that's the right thing to do. And I know, and, and once one of the parents said, well, my child goes by they, them, I was like, no, I'm definitely going to do this. And I use she, her, and then sometimes they, them pronouns. So I really wanted to not just honor myself, but all humans. And by, Mm -hmm. by, and this is the cool thing going back to that book, the body's not an apology. It's about kind of unpacking all this, um, uh, you know, terrorism that's done to us, like body terrorism and like shaming of like bodies and people that are different of identities. So within the time that I've run Preteen Club, we have had um, one kid fully come out as transgender and he has lesbian parents. So it's not like he's a stranger to the queer community, but he said to us, he didn't think he would be able to come out until he was 20. And I think at the time he was 11. And he was like, I just didn't think that it would be possible, but you all accept me so much. And we, you know, he had a new name. We cheered for his new haircut. Um, His sister's in the club. She got all his old clothes. Like she was so happy. And it's been the most beautiful thing. Well, because he was so brave, that led to other courageous moments that, you know, kids were, were, were coming out about different kinds of things, not about their gender, but things like, You know, they thought that they were ugly and we talk a lot about, you know, body dysmorphia and, and, and kind of shame that's put on us and things like that. So the kids are incredibly, I mean, I I'm telling you, Marsha, if you came on, you would be blown away. Like, like I've had guests on and they're just like, oh my God, like they inspire the kids, but the kids equally are inspirational because they're just, they're so trained in terms of connecting to their emotions and like navigating an emotional landscape. Yeah, so it's amazing. Um, and, uh, you know, I get emotional sometimes because I created what I needed. I never had that when I was a kid. So it's incredibly powerful. And the thing is, the cool thing about preteen is, and, you know, I'm sure you can sense this from my style, is I'm very playful. So we're definitely, it's kind of like a roller coaster, like you're laughing, but then you're like, oh my God, this is so deep and emotional. <laughs> So it's, but then, you know, because it was only emotional, then it would be too much. And if it was only playful, it wouldn't go as deep. So it's, it's a really, I've got like a fine balance between that and kids really relate to that.
0: So it's, it's awesome. That's a great explanation. That really is. That's not, I mean, knowing where that change and transformation comes, it can't just be emotion. It can't just be because we want to be able to, it's too heavy. So learning to create change there. I love, and I just want to say this for, the purpose of this show, Own Your Choices, Own Your Life. I literally, part of big, my biggest thing that drives me is let's talk about all of the things we call shame stories. Because when we talk about them, they lose their power, right? They yeah. literally lose their power. It's the not talking that is making it gained so much power. So I love that you're doing that with kids because you're opening up the doors for things that are just not talked about. And then we also realize we're not alone. Like we're so much more connected than when we think we are. So I just give you so much credit because I think that is really, really powerful work that you're doing. And it must be rewarding on a level. Like a lot of times as leaders, we go back, we create what we wish we would have had. Yeah. And, and that to me is using your story for something that is very powerful and can impact others. So thank you for doing the work that you do.
1: It's like my biggest pleasure.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, I love it. And you're now working on a book. You are working on a book you were sharing with me before.
1: We just, I, cause I can't, the challenge is there's you know, it's legacy work. So I have tons of these stories. I wrote a blog a couple of years ago and had no idea what I was doing. Didn't have a business coach back then. I didn't even know. I just like posted it on Facebook, but I would write about these stories of, of what kinds of things would happen with these kids, how I'd resolve things, you know, and I, and I really don't believe like it's only one way, but I'm just, I'm storytelling mm-hmm. a spark um, inspiration. Like, oh, you can deal with something in a different way. You can look at it in a new way or kind of, you know, things like that. So people often like my friends will come to me or colleagues and be like, "Yeah, I tried to like think what Miss Rainbow Fairy would do, <laughs> you know?" And it's like so it's just it's just kind of like a different lens, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah, this book um I had my deadline last night. We have people contributing, friends that are social workers, friends that are child and youth workers, teachers, I have some of my preteen kids that are contributing oh, too. Oh, I
0: love this.
1: Yeah, yeah, and then it's my own story and then all the all the different work that I've done with kids. But the challenge is I don't want to stop. Like as an artist, it's really hard to like stop yourself because you're like constantly being inspired. So, you know, my book coach was like, okay, January 31st is like our cutoff. So I was like still writing at 1030. I'm <laughs> well, I'll just fit like a couple more stories in. But this project, <laughs> this project has been going for a couple of years. Yeah. And um, Kern, my, my book coach and editor um, with his team was Safi. We have said, okay, we're going to, we're going to aim for the spring uh, to get this done because it's, yeah, I've seen other people say they're going to do a book in a shorter time than I've been kind of working on this project. Mm -hmm. It's, It's, it's in the works.
0: It's a big job. It's not like it is a massive undertaking job to do. And I know after I wrote my first one, I'm like, I am never doing that again because that was so (laughs) much work. And then we released our second one last year. (laughs) So I'm like, I'm never doing that, which is so not true, but it definitely needs time to breathe because it is such a big immersive project.
1: Right. Well, yeah. I think we just like, cause I've been writing and writing, so I don't even know what's to come. So I'm glad I kind of don't know. Like he was like, we'll start editing. And there's many rounds of this. I'm like, many. Oh, there's rounds? so many
0: rounds. There's so yeah. many rounds of editing. There's <laughs> so, I mean, I can't even, there's so many rounds of editing. And even then when it was published, I, I was many people who listened to this have heard this story before, but when it was published, I actually had somebody bring me my book with sticky notes in it saying, I want you to see where your mistakes were. And I just remember going, what, like, (laughs) just, Mm -hmm. I poured my entire life and vulnerability into a book and you want to show me where my spelling mistakes were. And Mm -hmm. it's like, we edited this thing for four months and there were still mistakes in it, but I was able to detach enough to say, good. I'm glad there were some mistakes because that means that I'm human and it didn't have to go out to be perfect. And she was like, what? Like, I thought this would be important to you. I'm like, no, it matters to you. It doesn't matter to me. It's done. Like it's done, and in it that takes time to get to that space because I know months before I would have been mortified if somebody had told me it's I found a spelling mistake in Oprah's book, so I figure if with her whole team, uh, <laughs> we're we're fine, like we're fine. Oh, so, <laughs> then the whole world can have it. We're all good. We have permission. We have permission. Oh, I want to ask you a couple quick questions, and I've loved this conversation. I love the work that you're doing. What kind of impact do you want to see and make? in the future?
1: Oh, it's, you know, I actually, I'm very excited because I've met somebody that is my equal. Um, There's not many people that I really, really not even equal, but yeah, like equal, like, I feel like he equally gets it like on a really deep level, you know, on a, on a kind of like level that, you know, yeah. Um, So he has talked about, and I also have talked about very similar things and our paths have just intersected in the Mm. last month. Um, And so I have talked about, you know, especially after seeing um, Mr. Rogers, Won't You Be My Neighbor and uh, the documentary. Everybody should see that. That's your homework from Miss Rainbow Fairy. If you have not seen it, go see it. Because anybody that is in alive, so you were a child, or you have children, or you're like whatever, it it's just a mandatory thing. Um, his approach is, uh, and a lot of the coaching that I do with younger kids, especially, I will just talk to their stuffies the entire time. I have like kids that just have a stuffy in front of their face, and I just talk to the stuffy the whole time. As it, I was like okay, like, tell me like, about like, you know, what honey bears is, is, you know, like, what do you think our friend is thinking honey bear? I know our friend is not here right now. They're at the playground probably, or, you know, and, and we go through like literally like, you know, connecting that way. And Mr. Rogers, you know, that, that documentary talks about it, but um, yeah, social emotional learning. I think that this is absolutely needs to be the absolute foundation of education. And I don't think it's good enough to wait until somebody maybe makes it to, you know, kind of like mindset work and therapy as they're they're older, if they're privileged enough to have that access to it. I think most Mm -hmm. kids go through the doors of school, literally, maybe not right now, but virtually. And most, and there's too many adults in there. So the adults need to be guideposts um, of this kind of social, emotional learning. We need training. I want all teachers to be trained in trauma-informed work and conflict resolution and in some kind of performance. So maybe improv or like, like humor is such an important thing. You know, it's, it's not just that I understand their emotions. It's because I'm silly like them. So I'm kind of part of their world. And Mm the same thing with my friend, his name is Donovan. Same thing with him. Like he understands his his TikTok video that absolutely like won my heart was he was dressed up in like Captain America or something with like massive muscles. And he was like doing his lesson with the kids and they were and he was like look friends I don't think that you should be body like shaming me or like talking about my clothing do we need to have another talk about you know like upsetting people about their clothing in the class and they're like cracking up and he's like look at this muscle and he like popped this muscle this like a fake muscle with like stuffing you know so so, yeah, I would like to see social emotional learning at the foundation of um, everything that we do. I want uh, more education for parents mm-hmm. about things like that in terms of um, how they're relating with kids and then more things like like preteen. Like, I really think that the way that we're doing things in preteen needs to be I mean, it's the way I taught. Right. But I but I had to kind of like be in a system that was like very difficult to make that happen. But I would mm-hmm. still I would still have these huge conversations with the kids about being empowered and supportive and mindset and things like that. But it's just, it's not enough for me that we have um, things like safe schools, or we have a social worker with eight, eight schools that they have too much on their plate. It's not enough that we have posters. It's not enough that maybe there's one or two really safe people in the school, maybe for kids. Sometimes there's more, I hope, but. Mm-hmm. We have to do better. And so um, kids deserve it. They understand everything that's happening. They're not stupid. Um, We just need to get our act together and have more accountability. And, um, you know, I was just on the phone with a parent yesterday. Heartbreaking. And her story is viral. So people can definitely look it up. Little boy who is bullied for, um, with racism for, uh, well, he's in grade six now. He's part of our club, Parker. And finally, after the video went viral and his, po- no, sorry, not his video, his post from his family with his permission, they finally started taking action with the school board and the school. But up until then, the police were involved, school was aware, things like that, and nothing was happening. So it's like all of a sudden when there's pressure, you know, from, from kind of like outside in like, you know, a public sphere, then things start moving. But we need to do it way before that. You know, mm-hmm. we need to right away. We need to really, we need to believe kids, you know, the way me too movement, we need to believe women. We actually need to believe kids. And when kids are kind of like overly dramatic, they're like, oh, that person is so dramatic. There's a reason why. So mm-hmm. maybe there's actually an underneath reason. So we, we just need to believe kids and we need
0: properly trained people to work with them. Oh, um, I love but, that. I think that you really, I love what you're doing, the work that you're doing. It is definitely A big thing you have bitten off. I can say that in a way because I know, like you are a voice for so many, which is fantastic. Like it's people need to need to do that and to step into that, and because you have lived that, I think you can relate. You can voice it. You can speak for them, and instead of speaking to them, you're allowing them to be heard. So I think that that's really powerful.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Our Mm. voice. Humans want to know that they matter, and kids want to know that they matter.
0: Yep. I couldn't agree more. And I, I think, um, just as a quick question, especially now, I mean, I have a friend of mine, he has, they have four kids and he's been a stay at home dad, the whole, like their whole, um, time. And she is doctor. So he's, this is like, they're both equally, but he posted something the other day and I'm like, Oh, good for you. And it was just the fact that, can we just for a second say like, really give kudos to our kids, who have been handling this, like handling this pandemic and handling learning, like their entire social circles are stripped. Everything has changed. And I think we need to give the kids more credit for how they are navigating this time as well. Like it's impacting everybody. We all know that, but I think I just loved how he said that is that we have to give credit to these kids to, for what they are doing. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, just like all of us when we're like oh we showered, we got up, we like made our bed, we like put the laundry away like during the like craziest time that you know many of us have lived through. Like mm-hmm. kids also, you know, maybe they're not doing, you know, things perfectly, but that's, you know, yeah, get, we need we all need some grace and and I really think that this pandemic is the perfect time to seriously and critically reflect on what is happening. What is happening with kids in schools and education? You know, like what is happening? Who who is um, making sure that there's safe spaces? What is a safe space? How do we mm-hmm. empower kids in a way that's loving and supportive and kind to get the best human out of them? Like yeah. that's the point for me in education is to get the best human. the The problem is, and my friend Donovan talks about this too. You can like on his TikTok, you can see. I think it's Donovan Hall. Anyways, Hall. H-A-L-L, he's, he's our, he's basically my new best friend, but, uh, but we're still learning a lot about each other. And uh, he, you know, has a video talking to kids about like, Hey buddy, like, I just want you to know, I know you've been having a hard time, but, but it's, your marks are not the most important thing, like how you're feeling is the most important thing. But imagine hearing that from like all around, like your teachers and, and your parents, well, then people would feel kind of that they have grace to kind of like go through what they're going through and be supported, right? There would mm-hmm. be, it would lessen the trauma that people carry. Yeah, about I think you're not good enough, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I love all of that. I mean, I raised two boys, but during a time where it was, hmm, how do I say this? <laughs> they don't always fit the box in school. Boys, some, a lot of boys don't. And I remember them having a number of friends who were being paid for based on how many A's they got, how many B's they got and all those things. And I'm like, I'm not doing that. I mean, I I don't care what your number says. I want to see effort in what you're doing. You're putting effort in. I, I honestly could, I'm not worried about the number. So that was not something that we have, they thought that was crazy at the time that we wouldn't pay them. And I'm like, I'm not paying you for your A's it's because the A is completely, what's the word? It's, I mean, it's subjective. It's it depends on the teacher. It depends on the it's all of these things. So, anyways, I just think that there is something that's really, really um important there. The other thing I wanted to say was that when you're talking about the mental health aspect. I have a couple of friends who have preteens whose kids are actually excelling now because they're not in the school environment where they were dealing with bullying, where they were dealing with. And they are like, she's, I know the, the one mom in particular, she's like, I don't know what's going to happen when this is done because I'm watching my daughter thrive in a way I have not seen her thrive. Why? She is just not being in that environment in that way has been really good for her.
1: Well, I think what I'd say to you, Marcia, is at this point, we, we sold out of our first club, but at this point, like we still have Thursday night open and, and I don't even know what I'll, create. I'll probably create something older. Well, for teenagers, like kind of older than what we're working with right now, but like preteen is actually a place to practice these skills. So mm-hmm. one of the kids came in and was really depressed one day and I, and it was like noticeable, right? She was really, they were really sad. And I said, sweetie, what's going on? And they said, I, I don't, you know, it's not important. I was like, no, it is important. What's happening. And they disclosed that their friend was being bullied. So we went through, I was like, Oh heck no. I'm like, I don't care if this is in America. I don't care if i the principal, your friend, I don't care. So I coached them on the spot. They practiced like for, you know, a mm-hmm. good like 20 minutes And then they, the next week they went to the kid that was bullying their friend with another friend, confronted them, but in a really grounded way, I was like, Hey, um, I heard that you were saying these things, calling my friend short. And, you know, they did what usually kids do when they're doing something awful. Oh, it's just a joke. I'm just, (laughs) Oh, oh, I didn't mean it. They're just, you yes and they stayed strong because I coached them and they're like, well, actually it's not funny. And if it Mm -hmm. keeps going, we're going to report it. Well, it stopped completely. Now, the interesting thing about that was they were kind of bluffing because they had already reported it to the principal and the principal's comment to this child after this abuse was happening for so long was, well, they probably like you. They probably have a crush on you. So I, in Canada, okay, it's a different country without knowing Mm -hmm. the front ever coach them on how to do this. So the thing is, yeah, there's, there's a lot of things that like kids can practice in this kind of environment and bring back into another environment to like, how to interact, how to be kind of like solid in themselves. So I know it is concerning for sure. Um, Mm -hmm. And I've heard many people talk about this and also we're working on a space that's kind of outside of school so they can bring that energy in. Yeah. Mm
0: -hmm. That's, I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, where's the best place for people to follow you, connect and learn more about what you're doing?
1: Yeah, so I have a couple places. Instagram, it's Rachel R A C H E L. I know I'm such a teacher, and then Weinstock W E I N S T O C K. I'm sure you'll put it in the the. Notes. I
0: will put all of it in the show notes okay. for you.
1: It's it's Rachel Weinstock underscore for Instagram, and then I just got TikTok brand new this this week. So uh, so I'm on TikTok as well. Um, and uh, and I have a Facebook group as well. So if you nice. just like a
0: yeah. Awesome. I will make sure all of that is in the show notes and that it's there. I am so grateful for the time you have given me and the listeners today, how much you have given as far as explaining and, and showing what this is like and how we can actually change the story of bullying. We can change what we're doing with the kids. So I'm so grateful for that. I have one more question for you. What lesson in life are you most grateful for?
1: Mm, that's a really, that's like, it's like, that's a big question. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I feel like, and I feel like I'm still learning it. I am most grateful for um, the deep lesson of the, I feel like I got a master's in understanding this kind of pain, you know, cause I was put through it for so long. So I feel like that lesson has led to a lot of pain and a lot of difficult things, but also the most beautiful things. Like I am so like, I, I am in love with my work. I'm obsessed with the work I do. I could talk about this for hours and hours and hours and hours. All my friends Mm -hmm. know that everybody that talks to me knows that people can feel how passionate I am. So yeah, I'm most grateful for, for learning, um, for learning that you can take your pain and turn something amazing, uh, and do something amazing in the world with it, like make it into your biggest gift for the world, that's that's I think the thing I'm most grateful for. It's
0: pretty much exactly what I always say. I love it. The people that have lived some of the most challenging stories, a lot of times when I ask them like what they're grateful for, it's like as hard as it was learning what I learned because now that's how I've learned it firsthand. And now I'm doing something with it. So it's, we learn we're creatures, right? We, we learn and we can take that information on and it can hold us back or it can actually be our fuel to create something as we move forward. So I thank you so much for being here and thank you for everything that you've shared. And I cannot wait to see how your book unfolds and to support you in that process. I thank you so much. Thank you for your time.